is an Odyssey original. This is KDX in Death. I'm Rob Arch. I'm Charles Feldman. If you have a Tesla, there's a chance you're not the only one who sees what the car camera records. We'll go in depth into a major investigative report. All the rain could lead to a spike in the production of an irritating pest that we all hate. Well, most of us, anyway. Uh, we're going to be joined in the last half hour of the show today by one of the actors of the new movie Air about uh, Nike and a uh, young Michael Jordan. But we start with the Reuters report about Tesla and workers sharing pictures from people's cars. Steve Teclo. Teclo is a Pulitzer Prize-winning London-based investigative reporter for Reuters and worked on the story. Steve, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Great to be with you. So give us uh, the, the sort of nutshell, in a nutshell, headlines here about what your investigation, what Reuters investigation discovered. So we actually started out looking for a story about artificial intelligence, and it eventually led us to Tesla, because as most of your listeners know, um, Tesla has this software that allows it to do some of the driving for you. And Elon Musk, who's the CEO, would like to make the cars completely, um, you know, you wouldn't have to do anything. The car would take you where you want to go. So they've been working on this for years. And what most people don't know about um, these, these kind of AI projects is they, you know, behind the scenes, there's all these humans that have to do a lot of work. And in the case of teaching a car how to drive, you have to teach it things like how to recognize a stop sign, um, an emergency vehicle, a line on the road, that type of thing. So Tesla over the years has hired all these data labelers who see who are given images from all these Teslas, nearly 4 million of them, that um, all over the United States and elsewhere. They all have cameras, like a suite of eight different cameras. And if you agree, and this is on your dashboard on the touch screen, if you give consent, these cameras, which are always on, even when the car is off, um, will often send recordings into the cloud so that Tesla data labelers see these and and then they're supposed to identify objects, again, to teach the car how to recognize things. What we found in our investigation was that for a number of years, between 2019 and at least until last year, a lot of these data labelers, many of them worked in, a, in an office in San Mateo, California, would, to, to relieve boredom or to entertain themselves, would take some of these videos and share them with each other. And some of them were like highly invasive. I mean, there were, one source described watching uh, a man approach the car with no clothes on. Um, a lot of the, some of the video was filmed inside people's garages. I'm told in California, a lot of people keep a washing machine there and they would do their laundry. So these data labels are viewing this for, you know, as part of their work, but they were also sharing it. And it was, you know, either one-on-one or in small private group chats, they were creating memes, things like that. So I don't think most Tesla owners, when they, you know, click okay to let the Tesla have the, share the data and, and being told this is to improve the, you know, the software, I'm not sure they're aware that they're being watched 
you know, a lot. Now, as I, as I read the article, I know that Tesla kind of said that, well, it's still anonymous. We have no way of knowing who is who, but that's not really the case. I mean, if you can see into somebody's garage, you've got to have some idea where that footage came from, right? How do they justify that? Well, well what we also found um, was that the data labelers were using a, a computer interface and it had an icon and if they clicked on it for any image or video they were watching, it would bring you on, it would switch to Google Maps and show you the location. So even though Tesla says over and over again in its privacy notice that it doesn't link any of these recordings taken by the car cameras to your VIN number, your vehicle identification number, what people who, who work there told me is they could easily figure out you know, where, where a Tesla owner lived, you know, if they're, you know, pulling into their driveway or, you know, going, going to work or whatever, you know, if they wanted to, they, they, they could locate the pretty specific location using Google Maps. So let me ask you something, Steve, if somebody, as you know, uh, lots of people in this country, certainly here in the uh, LA area, uh, own Teslas, should they be concerned? Well, um, again, like we broke the story today, and I don't think m most people had any idea this was going on. I mean, I think most people understood, you know, a lot of people, I mean, who among your listeners, I mean, I don't, you know, read the terms and you know, these consent agreements that were offered all the time whenever there's some new software or, or whatever. Um, you, you know, I, I guess, should they be careful? Um, they should be aware, at least, that if they consent to data sharing that this is going to tesla and um you know and it's going to be viewed so i i guess i'd be careful what i'm doing in and around the car mm. um yeah I mean, that's... another thing it wasn't just it wasn't just the owners you know a lot of the, the these videos that were shared included you know crashes i mean we wrote about one case where a child's riding a bike and gets Bikes hit by a, uh, a a Tesla driving at high speed in a residential area, and the, the kid goes flying in one direction, the bike goes in another. Um, and this was shared, um, you know, by some some of these workers. And you know, there were all sorts of you know people's dogs were very popular um, thing for, for for them to share. Fun, funny roadsides. I mean, some of it was much more mundane mm -hmm. but the the people we talked to who were most disturbed were when they were watching people like in their houses you know that that in videos that were recorded by by the tesla cameras and you know if the garage doors open or you're charging your car in the garage at least at that time when these people were working there they, they had access to, to these recordings. Right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Steve Seclo works with uh, Reuters. Right now, though, a U.S. review led by the National Security Council mostly blames former President Trump for the shaky withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. Jeff McCausland is a CBS News military analyst. Jeff, thanks for being with us. It's great to be with you guys. Okay, so uh, I remember uh, watching as best I could, uh, you know, television images of, of the U.S. Uh, leaving Afghanistan. And to my recollection, uh, it wasn't President Trump in office at the time. So how does he get the blame, mostly? 
Well, I guess the blame, I think, because and I think, frankly, we have to blame the blame at the feet of four presidents, beginning with George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, because we ended up in a war that lasted 20 years that we actually thought we'd won when we defeated the Taliban and occupied uh, Kabul in early to, of 2002. Uh, but the consequences right now, blaming Trump immediately, is the, the negotiations by the Trump administration, so-called Doha agreement with the Taliban, kind of tied the administration's arms, hands, the Biden administration when they arrived in office, because we'd reduced our forces about 2,500 and agreed to pull our forces out. So Biden was confronted with the options of either a dramatic return of forces to stabilize the situation or continue that withdrawal. So I think the decision to withdraw is one thing, and that was constrained by what his predecessors had done. We have to separate that from the actual conduct of the operation to withdraw the forces. And that obviously left a lot to be desired. I think a lot of people would say that was op- that con- was conducted in a less than an outstanding fashion. And there was perhaps, uh, in the consequence, needless loss of life, frankly. A large number of Afghans who had been very loyal to the United States, as well as the Afghan government, were unfortunately left behind. So separating the decision to withdraw from the actual conduct of the operation, I think, is the distinction the president and the administration is trying to make. Now, obviously, this is a political season, so uh, naturally, I think that Biden's opponents are going to cast this as, oh, look at Biden passing the buck to Donald Trump, blaming everything on Trump. Now, we know that's going to happen, and we know that Democrats will defend uh, President Biden, say, yes, it's part of this can be laid at the feet of Donald Trump. But how will the American people see it, do you think? Well, frankly, I think the American people have largely moved on. That's been shocking to me and reminiscent as a person of age, I hate to say this, of what happened at the end of the Vietnam War, when we'd been in that war for so many years, lost enormously larger uh, loss of life in Vietnam than we suffered in Afghanistan. But within a year or so, the American people had frankly largely moved on. And I I think you hear very little amongst the American people uh, about the war in Afghanistan as they worry about, you know, day-to-day things for themselves at home, the ongoing war right now in, in Ukraine, and growing concerns about tensions between the United States and China. Is there a lesson that we need to learn from all of this to apply in the future if we find ourselves in a similar mess? Boy, I think there's a whole host of lessons, and there's some books coming out. I think the first and most important lesson I think we need to learn, and we keep have done this a couple times in my lifetime, is you can't win a war for somebody else. You can help them win it, but you can't win it unless they have their heart and minds behind it. And part of the problem in Afghanistan, of course, was we were never able to create, or they were never able to create, frankly, a government in Kabul that would rally the support of the majority of the population. So an individual Afghan soldier really felt he was fighting and dying for his government more than a Taliban soldier thought he was fighting and dying for his country, fighting and dying to get foreigners out of his country, and fighting and dying for his religion. So in the long run, this goes into the win or loss column for the U.S.? Well, it's a bit of both. I think largely you have to say a loss column in terms of our withdrawal, a win in terms of the fact that we uh, did uh, a retribution for the attack on 9-11. We neutralized to a large degree al-Qaeda, at least temporarily. We took out Osama bin Laden. We took out his successor, Ayman Zawahiri. Uh, And the Biden administration, I think, will point to that last operation as an indication that we can deter terrorism while not physically having presence in Afghanistan. So I think it's, a, again, a mixed review there as well, and only time will tell whether or not this is then defined differently in the days and weeks ahead. All right, thank you so much. Uh, CBS uh, News military analyst Jeff McCausland. 
Coming up, we will talk to an up-and-coming actress about her role in the new Air, that's a movie, and if working with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck is getting her noticed for other big movie and TV roles. Right now, though, thanks to all the rain that we've had, we might soon start to see a lot more mosquitoes, yes, mosquitoes. I don't want to see them. No, but you're going to. I don't want to hear them. Uh, you're going to hear them. Uh, Steve Vitrone is a director of scientific technical services for the Greater L.A. County Vector Control District. Charles is over there already batting around his head trying to keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> there we go. I hate that sound. Uh, Steve, thanks for uh, joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So what kind of mosquitoes are we talking about? Are you talking about the kinds that buzz around your head and make you go crazy, or are you talking about the kinds that bite your legs and make you go crazy? We're talking about both. Um, <laughs> with this uh, with this rain we're having, it's definitely going to create some some problems uh, in terms of our, our mosquito populations this year. It does help us in some ways, uh, but it makes it worse in others. Now, the thing is that some people just presume that mosquitoes are annoying, but nothing more than annoying. But they can, uh, in some cases anyway, carry some very serious diseases, right? Absolutely. Uh, I know West Nile virus has been the big one uh, and probably something that, that most everyone here in, in Los Angeles and California really are most familiar with is West Nile. Um, but there's also St. Louis encephalitis, which was a very big deal here in California, um, you know, prior to the arrival of West Nile virus. But we also have these invasive species, as you mentioned, the mosquito species that are the ankle biters. Uh, these are the 80s uh, species of mosquitoes. These are the 80s albopictus primarily and 80s, uh, excuse me, 80s aegypti and 80s albopictus. Um, and these, those species can transmit some very nasty diseases such as dengue, chikungunya, and Zika. Um, to name a few. Um, so, yes, they, they are definitely a, a very big threat to public health, for sure. Now, aside from the common sense things like, uh, you know, hey, if you got any standing water near your home, uh, get rid of it, dry things out. Uh, what's a good thing to use on your person to help maybe fight off these mosquitoes, like a spray or a lotion? Do you recommend anything? Well, there, there are a number of different um, active ingredients in, in many of the, the uh the insect repellents that are that are available. Uh, the best is by far DEET. Uh, the higher percentage, the better. Obviously, we don't want to use those higher percentages on, on infants or small children. Um, but there are other active ingredients, such as picaridin. Um, there, there are a number of others, but DEET is is the one that we would recommend in order to, to give you the best protection. Um, picaridin, as I mentioned, is also equally good. It just needs to be reapplied more frequently, uh, but it's, it doesn't have the same smell or feel on the skin that, that DEET would. What's the, uh, but really, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to ask, no, what, I, what, what, what is the county doing, if anything? Well, we, we provide mosquito control services. So our services are already paid for, uh, by our residents through a property tax assessment. And if, if there, if, one of our residents or any resident really is is within our jurisdiction is experiencing any mosquito uh, issues. They could call us. We would come out, do a site inspection and try to identify sources of those mosquitoes and then do any type of source reduction or chemical control if we found it necessary. Um, there, you know, we're also trying to get the word out, um, trying to inform and educate our residents in terms of what to do to protect themselves, how to reduce the number of mosquitoes that they're producing in their own backyards, um, and as well as you know um, what the possibility is in terms of, of public health and and the risk 
to public health due to these these different mosquito species. When I was a little kid and I grew up in South Florida, they used to have the uh, big bug trucks come by that sprayed all the chemicals up into the air. And uh, us kids used to follow and play in the smoke. And, of course, it had absolutely no effect on our mental abilities whatsoever, uh, as you can tell. Thank you, Charles. And uh, will we ever see anything like that again? Well, we try to be... Much of our control efforts are focused on on the immature stage, so larval and, and pupil control. It's by far the most effective and really the 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 most environmentally friendly approach. A lot of those chemicals that are used for adult control, um, you know, they sometimes they're non-target. Um, the issues that we're having that we see in some of our mosquito species with pesticide resistance also play a role. But that's not to say that we don't use those and they're not part of, of our overall strategy. Those are, are really reserved for uh, times when we see, uh, you know, increases in, in incidence of, of human cases of West Nile virus, for example. Um, and then we will go ahead and, and authorize truck-mounted adulticiding to occur in order to break that transmission cycle. All and right. Those are typically done several nights in succession. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Steve uh, Vitrone, Director of uh, Scientific Services for the Greater L.A. County Vector Control District. You're listening to KNX In-Depth along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, unless you have been living in a cave your whole life, you probably know uh, Nike and Michael Jordan. Charles, I understand that has something to do with sport ball, of which I'm a huge fan. <laughs> uh, and no reason to explain what and who they are. No, the movie Air, by the way, is now out in theaters. I'm actually planning to see it this weekend. It goes into the really fascinating story of how Nike linked up with Jordan in the first place and created the iconic Air Jordan sneakers. The movie, of, of course, features Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, but with us now in studio is one of the movie's rising stars, Gabrielle Bourne. Gabby, can I call you Gabby? Gabby's great. Gabby, Gabby good. Thank, thank you for coming in. <laughs> thank you for having me. Good to be here. Uh, can we, Mike, uh, Mike, <laughs> I'm, I'm flanking hey. back to a, to a, for, a <laughs> former host. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rob, uh, I'm not hearing her in my headset. So is her mic on? Yeah, I, I believe you're on. Yep. S- can, yep. Hi, guys. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So you can't hear her? Nope, not at all. all. Right. I hear you, but I don't hear her. I want to make sure that, okay. that we can hear her. Maybe do the one ear thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, but uh, right, well, I've, right, our well, producer says the mic is on, so we know that okay, for sure. Great. Okay, then, then we'll continue. It's interesting. <laughs> interesting effect. Charles has done a lot of drugs. <laughs> so. Oh, no. no, no Charles. No. So, so uh, Gabrielle, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in this movie. Yeah, so um, I I I'm an actor. I got um, you know the 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 normal audition sent to me for a self tape through my agents, and um, read for the part, got cast, and showed up on set a few weeks later to work with um, you know these amazing group of actors and Ben as a director, and um, it was it was loads of fun. But was it nerve wracking? Be honest. Oh yeah. Are you kidding? Well, I, you know, so I knew that Ben and Matt were involved going into it, and I didn't find out until the night before when I got my call sheet that I would be working with Jason Bateman on on the day of my initial. It was supposed to be um, a day that I worked, so my initial scene that I had was with Jason, and of course, the initial feeling is a nerve wracking feeling of okay, I've, you know. Um, I'm working with the best of the best. But then there's that feeling of 
being incredibly grateful because you couldn't possibly ask for a better scene partner than Jason Bateman. So, yeah, when you're young and coming up and you get to work with somebody who's established, somebody who's done a lot, especially Jason Bateman, who has done a lot of comedy, but also a lot of drama. I mean, nobody's ever going to forget the role that he played in Ozark and also one of the drivers of that show. Uh, So really good actors can give a lot to people who are on their way up and let them shine. Did you get that feeling? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just he's such a he's such a a great person. And, you know, he came over and introduced himself. And, um, you know, he he definitely made it easy. You know, it's funny. I was just talking with somebody. I I heard that Meryl Streep sometimes when she's working with actors who are kind of coming on like as a one day job, she'll purposely forget a line um, (laughs) to make them feel more comfortable. (laughs) He didn't do anything like that. Um, But but, you know, it was great. I felt great. Once I was there, I was able to kind of put everything aside and and do the work and And then, you know, he even came up to me after and said some really nice things that, um, you know. Did you did you know much about uh, other than perhaps what was in the script? Did you know much about this whole story and and the origins of of uh, uh, how this particular uh, shoe came to being? Did you know much about that before? I knew some before, but no, not a ton. And then, you know, obviously I got to read the script and then, you know, I bought Shoe Dog and, and read Shoe Dog by right. Phil Knight to kind of get an idea of that story. And, and no, I was kind of learning all of the details behind this for the first time. So tell us a little bit about the movie. What is it uh, that makes the story of Nike and Michael Jordan interesting that people don't know and are going to find out when they watch this? Yeah, well, it's such an incredible story. I mean, the thing that stands out to me the most is Michael Jordan's mother and her involvement. And Ben's been talking a lot about this and kind of how that role grew um, after he talked to Michael Jordan and, um, you know, he kind of told him that the huge role that his mother played in in this whole thing and um he told Ben that he wanted Viola to play his mother and initially in the first drafts of the script I think that character only had a few lines it wasn't a huge arc and um, and then you know as he uh, talked to Michael Jordan and realized and decided how can we get Viola Davis to play this party kind of expanded the role more Um, and it's just it's it's such a huge part of the story and it's really what makes the film so special. Tell us a little bit Gabrielle about the part you're playing in this film. I play Tiffany, a secretary at Nike. Um, you know, they call it Sonny Vaccaro's secretary. You'll have to see the movie to find out why that's funny. It's kind of a, a joke in the whole thing. Um, so I don't want to give it away. But Okay, but there's a but there's a punchline to that apparently. There's a punchline. <laughs> so. Yeah, you'll see in the movie. No spoiler alert. <laughs> no spoilers. Okay. Okay. And how long did you work on this? And I, I think I asked you off the year. How long did you work on it? And did everything you shot wind up in the film, or, yeah. or did you experience what so many actors do? I did all this beautiful yeah. stuff, and that's all that's left. Oh, there's always that. Um, so it was initially supposed to be a one day shoot, and I think while I was still there on my first day, they came up and asked me if I was available over the next few weeks, and I got to come back. Um, you know, more over the course of three weeks. Um, it was kind of a running joke because we'd think it was my last day and then I would show up again. <laughs> um, so it was it was so much fun. I was nervous. You know, you never know what's going to make it in the final cut. I'm in there. There's some stuff that's not in there, but mm-hmm. I, I'm in there. Maybe on the Blu-ray later, there's yeah, going to be some yeah, extra exactly. features. Yeah. And you've seen the film. I have. Now, are you one of those uh, actors who 
doesn't like watching yourself uh, and your performance? Because a lot of actors don't. And there are some who claim, and I'm not quite sure I've ever believed them, there are some who claim they never actually have seen any of their film performances. Where do you uh, fall on that one? I like to watch. I I don't mind it. Um, I I feel like I'm able to kind of, I mean, I'm done with the work at that point, right? So I'm able to kind of step outside of it and watch it as a whole from an outside perspective. It did take, I've seen the movie now three times. It did take the first time initially, you know, you're kind of watching everything that you've been for. It's harder to see it from an outside perspective as a whole. And then it gets, it got easier, you know, the second and third time. But it's such a fun movie to watch. Um, so. And it it is open now. Yes. Uh, it's playing in theaters it now. Yeah. Yes. It better uh, be open because I'm seeing it. Yes. <laughs> so if it's not open. Otherwise, you're going to be really I, I embarrassed. What, I don't know what I'm paid the money for. <laughs> it, so, yeah. So you've got other interests outside of the work you did in this film. You also do some work behind the camera, don't you? I do. I've gotten into um, writing and producing more recently. I'm uh, working on a pilot right now. It's called Mac of All Trades. It's um, kind of based on my personal experiences as a female handy woman. Um, and builder um, and it just follows uh, Mac, a girl who's kind of working on um, navigating society's expectations of her um, in a kind of male-dominated field. So wait, so so we have to go back to that. So <laughs> you you did what kind of building? So um, I, it's kind of start. it started from like refinishing my kitchen cabinets years back and it's kind of spiraled into this obsession with um, woodworking building and uh, two years ago I um, bought a complete uh, dump of a house and I um, remodeled it myself from the ground wow. up. So I, wow. I built a kitchen I learned to tile. Um, I, you know, did built-ins and learned how to do drywall and all this stuff. See, I would find that to be like a horror show because (laughs) uh, once upon a time I had to put up a curtain rod and uh, and my wife said, it's easy, you can do it. So I bought a drill and, uh, well, the rest of the story is a horror show. Yeah, you were there. We we eventually had to move out of the house and have it torn down. Oh. No. Well, you know, these days there's so much available on YouTube. You can really learn how to do anything. I do come like, up against some struggles once in a while, and it can be very frustrating. So, so, so that's a very varied background. Uh, home building, uh, uh, <laughs> writing, producing, acting. Is there one that you kind of uh, think, I kind of really like that the best? Yes. Well, acting's always been my number one. It will always be my number one. It's just, you know, it it takes years in this industry to gain momentum as an actress. So that's where the writing and producing comes along. It's kind of something that you just have to be doing as an actor. You have to be creating your own work. And then the building stuff, it just kind of came by accident. It started because I was, I was bartending and doing that whole thing as my side job as an actor. And I kind of got over the late nights. And so I thought, oh, I'm really into building and maybe I can start a business building furniture for people. And then it just kind of turned into this obsession where I just fell in love with it. You could you could in theory write your own screenplay, build the sets, and then act in it. Yes, yeah, I could, do the whole I'm, thing. I could be yeah. a one man show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, very quickly, what are some other things that people uh, have seen or can see you in? Um, I I worked on a couple episodes of Animal Kingdom. That's a fun show. That's just had its last season. Um, Not because of you. No. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I do. I'm. I've. I made. Um, kind of a little short web series of Mac of all trades. It's a little different in tone than the one I'm working on now, but that's on YouTube and on my Instagram. Um, it's Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y underscore born, B-O-U-R-N-E. And you can find those short episodes there. So I'm curious, if you had to rebuild this studio, what would you do to improve? Oh, oh God. my gosh, I love the studio. You guys have done a great job in here. She's I, very kind. Yes, there are what you can't see are there are things growing in the walls. Oh my god. That uh, are affecting us in weird ways. Well, oh. I was noticing your wallpaper in the other room though. It's beautiful. Whoever did it did a very nice job laying it. I think that was Charles. That was you, wasn't yeah. it? Not you do the in wallpaper? your life. Man, not right. in your life. You didn't DIY it? No, 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 no not me. That would be funny. <laughs> we should DIY the studio one of these days. And I'll put up some more stuff. I'll come help. All right. Uh, uh, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. The movie is Air. It's in theaters now. It's about Nike and Michael Jordan. And as I mentioned, it is uh, sport ball stuff. One of my favorite topics. (laughs) Uh, That's going to do it for KNX In-Depth today. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.